If you have a Bible, let's open up to Rome, uh, to Romans, to John chapter 8. <laughs> open up to John. We're going to continue on in our study through this gospel account. Remember, if you have no idea where John is, that's okay. Feel free to use the table of contents. There's a pew Bible there in front of you. Go to the, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and look for the big number 8. That's the chapter that we're going to be in. And then look for the little number 21. That's the verse that we're going to be in this morning as we carry on in our over-a-year-long study of the Gospel of John, taking it verse by verse, each text as it comes in sequence, and we're drawing from the text this morning. And so while you're opening up there to John chapter 8, remember we are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that say someone's here right now as we are looking at the ministry, life, work, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament says someone's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say someone's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. And so who is that person? Jesus Christ. As you're opening up to John chapter 8, I'm going to tell you a story uh, about a little baby that was born in the early 90s. His name was Shin Dong Hyuk, and he was born to two loving parents who worked hard each and every day. Decades earlier, his grandfather made a decision that had a direct impact on the three generations of his descendants, and not in a good way. Why? Because this little baby Shin was born inside a prison camp in North Korea which punishes three generations of a family for crimes against the state. His grandfather had tried to escape to the south during the Korean War, was found out, and so him and his whole family were put into a prison camp, and the successive three generations of his family were punished for the sins of this grandfather against the state. And so, but being born inside the camp, all this little baby knew and all this child knew was life inside of a work camp. And so he grew up picking rocks, pulling weeds, maintaining dams, competing with other members even of his own family for scarce resources, witnessing countless executions, and always existing right on the knife edge of starvation and sheer exhaustion. As you can imagine, this was a life lived under the shadow of death constantly and always in a life of just imprisonment always overseen by guards, working hard each and every day. And in his own words, Shin described himself as living like an animal because we were treated like animals. All he knew was life in the camp. And so when he overheard his own mother and brother planning to escape, he did what he thought he should do, and he told the guards. He had not known life any other way. He thought that he would be rewarded for telling on them and that he would get more food Remember, he was used to competing with his own family members for something to eat. And he did what he thought he should do, told the guards. And what that led to was his own mother and brother being executed right in front of them. Think about life inside of this camp. Knowing no other life than to be in prison constantly, right in the shadow of death. I want you to put your, yourself in his shoes for a moment. And I want you to think about being born and only experiencing life inside of a prison under the shadow of death each and every morning. Now, also think about the fact that this is the plight of humanity. You, me, everyone. Born under the weight and bondage of sin. It's all we've ever known. Life lived under the curse of the fall. We looked at the shorter catechism a few 
weeks ago that talked about what does life look like under the weight of sin. It says it's a life of sin and misery. Today, July 4th, is a day when we celebrate the freedom that we have in our great country. Yet, even with all the freedom we enjoy in America, the Bible tells us that at the heart level, apart from Christ, we are in bondage to sin and under the shadow of death. Many of you may have felt that in the past or maybe even feeling it right now. This weight of sin, the struggle that you feel in your heart. That you know that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And that it's absolutely just eating you up and tearing you up. And you're trying to free yourself. You're trying to numb that pain. You're trying to numb that feeling. And you know what life feels like. Have you ever felt this heart struggle? Similar to what Paul said in Romans 7. I don't want to do this, but I can't help but do it. I feel the struggle inside my heart, this tension that exists. The Bible tells us that we can also have all the exterior trappings of religion, but still be in total slavery to sin at the heart level. But what if I told you that there is a way to finally be free? What if there is a way to be free from that? Would you want to hear more? Would you want to hear more about that this morning? I hope so. This morning we focus on a passage where Jesus issues very clear warnings about the futures of those who reject to believe that He is the Son of God. But I also want you to notice the contrast that exists between those who put their faith in Christ. There's this huge contrast that exists in this text. See if you can pick up on it as we read. Let's look at John chapter 8 starting in verse 21 with that in our minds. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. So he said to them again, this is Jesus speaking, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, You will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm thankful for that, and I hope you are. Let's ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. 
Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your guidance. Jesus, we long to lift your name on high. Speak to us this morning. Remove distractions from our hearts. Help us to hear your words spoken to us. Please be with me as I look to your word and seek to unpack it. Please, O Spirit, apply it to our hearts. Lord, hide us all behind the cross. These things we ask humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. So normally, as you know, I try to ask a big question and then lay it before you. And this morning, I don't, wanna, I don't have a big question that we're going to answer. What I want to do is simply lay the contrast in front of you because that's what the text lays in front of us this morning. And so a contrast between the prison that, the sin, that sin has us all in and the true freedom that Christ offers. Those are going to be our two big points this morning. And so if you're a note-taking type of person, our first point is going to be the prison that sin has us all in. Second point is going to be the true freedom that Christ offers. Let's look at that first point. We are still in what is commonly referred to as the light of the world discourse that began last week and continues on to the end of chapter 8. And remember, Jesus is speaking to a group of Pharisees, we saw that in verse 20, who were seeking to trap him and ultimately kill him. We saw that back in chapter 5, that this crowd is trying to kill Jesus and take him out. And the temple was crowded due to the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, we looked at that last week where uh, Jesus says, you know, I am the living water and I am the light of the world. So this feast was going on and was kind of coming to an end. And so a crowd overheard this exchange that we're looking to this morning. Remember that Jesus had been continually referencing his divinity and calling others to come to him by faith and to follow him. And the Pharisees rejected Jesus because they saw him as a blasphemer. He was claiming to be God, he was claiming to be the Son of God, and they wanted to take him out because he was a blasphemer. But not only that, they, he was a threat to their religious lives. Verse 21 should shake every one of us to the core. Look at verse 21 again as we read it. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I am going, you cannot come. Harsh words indeed. And Jesus said something very similar in chapter 7, verse 34, when they tried to arrest him. And now he adds, you will die in your sin. He has told them repeatedly that he will return to his father. And because of their unbelief in him as the Messiah, they will die in their sin and under the wrath of God. An ultimate separation was coming. And this is a warning. Jesus is saying, where I am going, you cannot come. This warning was promised. Notice Jesus drawing a very hard line in the sand that we should immediately heed this morning. We either believe in Him as the Son of God and trust Him by faith and trust His substitutionary atonement, His sacrifice for us, or we reject Him and we remain under the weight and curse of our own sin. Romans 5, 12-21 tells us that we're born into the prison of sin. And Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're taking notes, that is 100% participation in this room. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And apart from Christ, all stand under His just wrath for our sin. It's, something, it's a sobering thing to think about. Also, the other sobering thing to think about when we think about this passage is who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to the religious people here. They rejected Jesus because they thought their religious performance and ethnic heritage would save them. And many of us in this room, many people, especially around our county as well, many people get drawn into this trap. 
They think that it is their religious and spiritual performance. That is the thing that saves them. Or they hold on to the fact that my mama or my daddy or my grandmama or whatever was a Christian. So that makes me by default a Christian. And it's easy to slip into that. That it is not about how many times you come and sit in a pew. As we've said before, your rear end can be in a pew while your heart is far from God. And just because your mom and dad or grandmama was a Christian doesn't mean that you are. God only has first children, not grandchildren. Those who put their faith and trust in Him and Him alone. And so every one of us needs to heed that warning in verse 21 and ask the question, do we have faith in Jesus Christ this morning as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? What, we also need to ask, what are you functionally hoping will save you apart from faith in Christ? What are you really looking to? As the thing that apart from Jesus, this is the thing that's going to save me. This is how I'm trying to save myself. This is how I'm trying to free my own self from this prison that I feel like I was born into. Because we were. What, are the, what is the thing that you are functionally looking to that is going to be your salvation apart from Christ? We all have something. Anything you love more than Jesus Christ is an idol. And we need to repent of it. And we need to turn from it and run from it. Because those things can never save us. We think about what's going on in this passage, even with the Messiah in front of them. In verse 22, the Pharisees miss the point. They totally miss it. And in verse 23, Jesus tells them why they keep missing it. Look in verse 23. And he said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Do you remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus back in chapter 3? Jesus told him that one must be born again from above by the Holy Spirit. We need this new birth from above, even to be able to see the kingdom of God. In verse 24, again, Jesus reminds them of what is truly required, faith in Him. And the little word, He, was added by the translators to help us English readers, but the original Greek uses the phrase, ego eimi, which is better translated, I am, I am. And so we look at verse 24, Jesus is identifying himself as the great I am. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, I am who I am sends you. He used the same phrase when he referred to himself as the bread of life and the light of the world. Jesus said, I am, I am, ego me in the Greek. So let's reread verse 24 with this in our minds. What does he say in verse 24? I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, I am, you will die in your sins. Just claiming Jesus as another great moral teacher won't cut it. You must believe that he is the unique and eternal Son of God, or you will die in your sins. Notice the plural used in verse 24. Here's what Ketty says. This encompasses everything from sin as a characteristic condition of life to the particular sins which incur guilt in the course of life. Some find it easy to excuse many of their sins, plural, as extraneous errors, mistakes, and slips, while drawing comfort from the idea that their general condition and way of life are moral and decent, and therefore not in sin. Jesus leaves no such hiding place. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 tells us that none of us are quote-unquote good, no one is righteous. No, not one. James 2.10 tells us, Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And there are too many churches in our area that would describe this sin problem that we all have, which feels like weights being stacked on you, 
And then they would stack even more weight on you by telling you that it is ultimately up to you to figure it all out and to functionally save yourself. This is legalistic, man-centered religion, and it is not the gospel. It's not. Yes, I get it. This is a really heavy way to start a sermon. It's a heavy passage. It's a heavy way to start a sermon. I get it. But the good news of the gospel will never make sense to you until you internalize the full weight of the bad news first. That you are not a good person. None of us are. The Bible never flinches in this assessment of our true condition. Look at verse 34. Says Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's us. That's where we are. We're born into that. None of us is a good person. We're all born dead on arrival, basically. As one of my seminary professors said, vipers in diapers. That's what we are, is we're born in sin. Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 19, we looked at a few weeks ago, asked the question, What is the misery of that estate wherein two men fell? says, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God and are under his wrath and curse and so made liable to all the miseries in this life, to death itself and to the pains of hell forever. Here's the thing. Religion won't save you. Your good works won't save you. Churchianity, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, won't save you. Your willpower won't save you. Coming to this building won't save you. Only Jesus saves. Only him. That's it. This is the beauty of the pure gospel when it's preached against the backdrop of the bad news of our sin because it takes us completely out of the equation and it exalts the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We do not get to take some of the glory that is reserved for Christ and Christ alone. He has done it all. And we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Christ, for all that you have done. Consistently preaching on the reality of our sin nature is not a great way to build a church in America today. But it's the only way to be faithful to the biblical gospel and not rob Christ of the glory that he alone is due. Don't believe me? Notice who rejects Jesus when this bad news is set before them. The religious folks who should have known better. Notice what happens after Jesus makes this bold warning. They respond with scorn. Look at verse 25. He lays out this before them in verse 24. And so they said to him, who are you? Who are you? They're basically saying, who do you think you are? This is a scornful response when we think about these are temple leaders who are saying this. And again, Jesus points them back to his true lineage and divinity in verse 26. But again, they completely miss it in verse 27. It is universally known known among those who work in ministry that the hardest person to reach is the person who thinks that they're a Christian because they pray to prayer one time, go to church because that's what they're quote-unquote supposed to do, and see no real, real need for Christ in their daily life because they're a good person who doesn't need any help. Those are the hardest people to reach. Religious folks. Again, here's what Gordon Ketty said in his commentary. This just drilled me. It says, the gospel offends because it searches and challenges the deepest commitments and darling sins of sinners, finds them wanting and calls them to repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Christ threatens the citadel of self. Ooh, that one hurt. 
Too many Christians and sadly preachers too today are quick to lay the blame on everything out there, the government, a secularizing culture, their guy not getting elected, whatever it is, and miss the battle going on in their own hearts. It's easier to shift blame rather than admit your own sin. And Jesus doesn't let us get off the hook that easy. He draws a line in the sand. We need more repentance, not recognition. We need more prayer, not politics. We need more Savior, not more self-help sermons that push the lie that we can save ourselves. Why? Because the gospel's true and Jesus is better. You want to hear some good news? Let's look at the second point. The true freedom that Christ offers. How can we be free? How can we be set free from this weight that we feel? How does the gospel rush in? And remind us of the freedom that only Jesus can offer. The contrast being revealed by Jesus to the Pharisees in this text could not be any clearer. Sin leads to death. Jesus leads to freedom. That's it. That's the big picture. Some commentators think that the quote, Jews who had believed in him in verse 30, the first half of verse 30, only had a superficial belief in Jesus, not a saving faith. So Jesus immediately defines the characteristics of a true disciple. Look at the second half of verse 30 and 31. He said, uh, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. True disciples of Christ actively abide in his word by obeying his revealed will and keeping Him central to their lives. And this continual abiding leads to continual growth in that knowledge. And this knowledge of the truth leads to a growing sense of freedom in Christ. What does this look like? What is this growing knowledge, abiding in the Word? What's that look like? It looks like a tree growing. It looks like a tree growing. As the roots go down, the tree grows up, spreading its branches even more, and it gets stronger as it takes in more sun. And this tree eventually becomes a safe haven for others to find refuge in because the tree is strong with deep roots. And you think, how do a tree's roots grow? Where does the real growth happen just below the surface? And when do large periods of growth happen? When there's drought. One of my favorite songs by David Wilcox, he says, All the roots grow deeper when it's dry. In those moments of struggle and toil and pain, the roots grow deeply down as they are nourished by the Word. Many of you can attest to the fact that Jesus has met you and walked with you when life is the hardest. And your roots have been strengthened because of that. And now you are able to provide shade and refuge and comfort to others going through the same exact thing because of what Christ has done in your life. This is the true gospel freedom. An unshakable confidence in the person and work of Christ. Who He is. An unshakable confidence in who He is is. An unshakable confidence in your union with Him by faith. Whose you are. Not just who He is, but whose you are. That you belong to Him. You are in His family. You are safe and secure in Christ. You are so united to Him that He will never let you go. It's just not who He is, but whose you are. Who you now belong to. An unshakable hope that the power of sin has been broken in your life by the work of the Holy Spirit. You are being transformed. It's who you are being conformed to. Jesus. 
It's this gospel hope. And what does this look like? It all happens when we feel the warm sunshine of God's love on our faces, even when we're faced with difficulty in our ongoing struggle with sin. What the go- you know what gospel freedom admits you, uh, allows you to do? What this gospel confidence allows you to do? It allows you maybe to admit for the first time that it's okay that you're not okay. That your life is not perfect. That you don't have it all together. It frees us up to admit that I don't have my life all together. And that's why I need Jesus. I need Jesus all the more. If you are here and you trust Christ by faith alone, you've been set free from the prison of sin to walk in newness of life. You've been set free from the power and curse of sin. I hope that's good news this morning, even as we struggle, that you have been set free from that prison of sin. A life of gospel freedom under the banner of God's love and mercy and in obedience to His commands which leads to eternal life. Hear the good news of verse 36. There's some good news. Be reminded of what Christ accomplished on the cross for a bunch of sinners like us locked up in the prison of sin and death. Look at verse 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. A life of confidence. A life of knowing that you've been set free through Christ and all that He has done. You've been set free from the ultimate power of sin. And that is such good news. It's a reason to get up in the morning. Because even in those moments where it feel, you feel your own brokenness and sin, am I the only one that feels that? You're like, ugh, I'm the worst. Even those moments when you feel that, we trust in what Christ has done. And if you are here and you do not trust Christ, if you are here and you are trying to save yourself, if you are here and just kind of setting your jaw and working really hard, it's not going to work out. It's not going to work. You cannot free yourself. And me as a minister of the gospel, I call you to repent. Repent of your self-salvation project. And turn and flee to Christ. Repent. Find that true freedom that only Christ can offer. You think that you're doing it yourself? You're not. You're just like the kid in the prison camp. You're picking rocks and pulling weeds, hoping that it works out. When what you need is you need to be freed from that camp. And only Jesus can do it. Look at what the text says. If the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. It's only through Jesus Christ that this happens. One of my favorite memes that gets sent around this time of year is one I shared on our Facebook page the other day. It has a guy dressed in like a American flag tank top with like American flag shorts and American flag bandana. And it asks the question, hey man, are you free this weekend? And it's a guy standing like this. And he's got an American flag behind him. It says, I'm free every weekend. It says, wipes a single tear. I'm free every weekend. Talking about the freedom that we have in our country. But the amazing thing when we think about that, it's a funny meme and I always chuckle every time I see it. It makes me thankful for our country. But it's especially true for all those around the globe who trust Christ by faith. Because this gospel freedom is not bound by borders. It unites the people of God across race and ethnicity and nationality and even time. And this is true freedom. And it's found in Christ alone. That we are united to Him and we have been set free. It's a reason to get up in the morning. It's a true and lasting hope. As we think about all that Christ has done, it makes us just to sit and to think, He willingly gave Himself up for us so that we could be set free from this sin. You ever thought and dwelt upon that? 
all that Christ has done for you, if you put your faith and trust in Him, and He willingly laid down His own life and was nailed to a cross and went into the tomb for three days and really died and was raised again so that we could be raised to walk in newness of life with Him. You think about the gospel and just the simplicity of it, but the depth of it, and that none of us deserved it. None of us deserved it. I love that hymn, how sweet and awesome or awful is the place when we think about that. Awful is, you know, not runaway and terrifying, but stand in awe of. As we sang earlier, I just love this hymn. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Why, O oh Lord, would you ever choose to set your love upon me? You want an update on Shin? Remember that guy I told you about? Here's what happened. He finally escaped the, new, the North Korea prison camp, and he made his way to America, a long and winding road. He ended up meeting a South Korean woman who was a Christian, and now Shin's a Christian. On his, birth, on his son's birth certificate, it's listed there, the, you know, the birthplace of the son and then the birthplace of the parents. And he said he just noticed when he was looking at the birth certificate that it had America and North Korea listed on that same birth certificate. And he thought about his own story. And he said, and what he said, he said, he is the picture of perfect freedom. And he said, and God is so good. Even through all of his struggles, even through all of his life of imprisonment, even through a life of struggle, even trying to get to America. But then God using all of that to introduce him to his wife, and now he has a kid, and he knows the Lord and Savior, and he says, man, even through it all, God is so good. He's so good. And you think about where you have been uh, brought thus far. When you think about your life and your own struggle with sin and the, these feelings that you have in your heart, and will I ever be free from them? And we say, yes, if you are in Christ. There is a day coming where that struggle with sin will be no more. Can you imagine that? We do not know life apart from this struggle with sin. We don't know it. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know what life without sin and brokenness and death and suffering looks like. It's all I've ever known. But man, what a hope Christ offers. So he says, guess what? One day, someday, every tear will be wiped away and sin will be no more. And even as we looked at the temple last week, what is in the center of the temple? It's Jesus Christ, the true light. And there's no more dark, scary places, for Jesus is the light. And, and you just think about the glory of that. And what it allows us to do is even while we struggle, it gives us hope. And so look to Jesus. That's all I can, that's all I can remind you of. It's all I got. Look to Jesus Christ, be reminded of Him and His grace. And be reminded that there is true freedom here and now as you've been set free from the curse of sin and death, but even as we struggle, we look with great hope knowing that true and everlasting freedom is just around the corner. And so all I can do is ask you to hang in there and be faithful to Christ and know that He will never let you go. Amen? It's a good reminder. I forget it every day. So I was preaching to myself. Glad y'all got to listen along. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and your kindness towards us. And we think about why, O oh Lord, would we ever be allowed to hear your voice as you've drawn us to yourself. We sit and just stand in awe of that. We stand in awe of all that you have done, that you willingly laid down your life for us so that we could be set free from sin and death and the curse and judgment and your wrath, O oh Lord.
And Lord, forgive us for any way that we might be trying to save ourselves. Forgive us, O Lord, for the ways that we might be trying to rob you of all glory that you deserve, keeping back a bit of it for ourselves, thinking that we somehow did it. Help us to remember that you've done it all from the beginning to the end. Help us to stand in awe of the gospel message of grace. Lord, you have sought us out. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you sought us out and you made us alive together. It's by grace we've been saved. Grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit. Grateful for your word that you've not left us alone to figure all this out. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us fellow believers to remind us when our knees are weak and to strengthen us. So Lord, help us to remember where true freedom is found. It is found in you. And help us to abide in your word. Help us to abide in you. Help us to trust you day by day. Help us to seek your glory and honor. And Lord, even while we struggle, help us to remember that death and sin no longer have the final word because you rose victorious from the grave. And so Lord, abide with us. And as we think about your amazing love and we ask the question, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Help us to stand in awe of your grace and mercy. These things we ask humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.